this bonus episode of the podcast is called, Is it inconsistent that God didn't let Moses and the original Israelites enter the promised land, but he sent his only begotten son to save us? I felt led to do this research because there are some who try to dissuade others from believing in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because he has punished people over time or some people have died. Having read the Bible from cover to cover many times, I wanted to research specifically to see if these consequences were unwarranted as they suggest. To do this research, I will use the New King James Version of the Bible, also known as NKJV, and internet resources as needed. Since the Bible sometimes uses the word him and the word he within the same verse, I will include who is speaking and who is being spoken to within brackets if I determine it's beneficial for clarity. Additionally, I will put my analysis, comments, observations, and conclusions within brackets as well. For those who would like to read this research or our previous biblical research projects in their entirety, you can go to either of these two blogs I felt led to create. Biblical Proof, found at https colon double backslash biblical proof, B-I-B-L-I-C-A-L. P-R-O-O-F dot blogspot, B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T dot com, or Do Biblical Inconsistencies Really Matter? You can find that one at HTTPS colon double backslash Biblical Inconsistencies, B-I-B-L-I-C-A-L-I-N-C-O-N-S-I-S-T-E-N-C-I-E-S dot blogspot, B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T dot com. Within brackets, I have, the thing is, God gives us choices. We can choose to follow him and his statutes, but when we don't, there are consequences. He most often explains what he expects or wants and has prophets that will do this for him. But there is always the alternative for those who worship idols, live wickedly, and lead others astray. Exodus 14, verses 9 through 11 says, So the Egyptians pursued them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his arm, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Piharioth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Chapter 14, verses 13 through 22 goes on to say, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. This is an aside. I just was thinking of this. There's a part later where Moses and Aaron at the waters of Meribah did not... um, show that the confidence that God would take care of them in the same way. And I want to read this again, because this is really good evidence of what what God wanted then. And he was very disappointed that they didn't do that. And this is a really good example that they did. Okay, let's see. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more. See again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground throughout the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. Till I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the angels of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. That's before and from before, and then they stood behind the Israelites to protect them from the Egyptians that are coming after them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus, it was a cloud and a darkness to the one, and it gave light to the other. So it was a cloud to the Egyptians. They could see as a light to the Israelites. So they could. 
which is all of it's a miracle only by God. This, thus it was a cloud and a darkness to the one and a light. I'm reading it again. And gave light to the uh, night to the other so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the east no, went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground and all the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Um, Exodus chapter 14, verses 26 through 27, Yan says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Exodus 14 verses 31, 30 through 31 further says, so the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. And so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Within brackets, I have after God gives the Egyptian Pharaoh who oppressed the Israelites the choice to let the Israelites go or have each of the 12 plagues. This is after that period. Um, after the last plague, he finally lets God's people go. He, the Pharaoh, lets God's people go but soon regrets it and chases after them. When Moses talks to God about the complaining people, God tells Moses to take his run and divide the sea so they can get across safely. Afterward, Moses is to let the sea go over the Egyptians so the Israelites were safe and trusted in the Lord God. Next passage is from Exodus 15. Um, Verses 24 through 26, which says, And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he, which is Moses, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him the tree. When he, which is Moses, cast it into the waters, the waters were made street. sweet. There he made a statue, statute, and I left out one of the three T's, and an ordinance ordinance for them and there he which is God tested them and said if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who heals you within brackets I have God tells Moses and the Israelites that if they choose to follow his voice commandments and statutes he will protect them from diseases or plagues that he had for the Egyptians who chose not to follow God's statutes. Exodus 16, two through four says, then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Exodus 16, verses 11 through 14 goes on to say, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning... You shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that the quails came up at the evening and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay on the ground all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground, and that's known as manna. Um, chapter 16, verse 35, yet says, and the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to an inhabitant land, and they ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Within brackets, I have the Israelites complained against God to Moses that they missed the meat and the bread of Egypt in which they had stayed there. 
God gave them quails in the evening and a daily supply of manna or bread, which with twice as much to be collected the day before the Sabbath. Exodus 19 verses 3 through 6 says, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom, a priest, and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Within brackets, I have God has Moses remind the Israelites that he and what he did to the Egyptians who didn't choose to follow his request, and that he protected the Israelites, bearing them on eagles' wings and they will be a special treasure to him if they choose to keep his covenant. Exodus 32, verses 20 through 24 says, Then he, which is Moses, took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire. Moses wasn't a part of the calf when he went on the, this is an aside, when he went on the mount with God and God gave him the, the two tablets with the Ten Commandments, his brother Aaron was back at the camp with the Israelites and they talked him into making a golden, an idol for them, a false god, and he made it in the shape of a calf. That's what this is all talking about, something that's very abominable to God. He wants people to worship him. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the true God, and not false gods. Um. So I'll start again because I interrupted. Then he, which is Moses, took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire and ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that we can... That shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it in the fire, and this calf came out. So Exodus 32, verse 28, even further says, So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day means that they were killed uh, or they died. Um, I think they had a plague, but I'll read the rest and we'll figure out if that's it. Um, Exodus 32, chapter 32, verses 31 to 35 goes on to say, Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a god of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now, therefore, go lead this people to a place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in that day when I visited for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. Okay, within brackets, I have God does not take kindly to people who choose to worship false gods or idols, which lead others astray. And, and that's a crucial part of all of this. It's not like just one person did it and it's handled and, and they take them away or those people are killed. It's when these things are because it ends up being more and more and more people start worshiping false gods. So we have to remove them because it's happened over and over and over again. When these things are happening, these abominations where they're worshiping false gods, then whole bunches of people start worshiping, worshiping false gods. God has dire consequences for the Israelites involved in worshiping the golden calf they requested in Moses' absence. So the others know what will happen to others who do serious abominations of this sort. Next is Leviticus 20, chapter 26, verses 39 through 42. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands, also in their father's iniquities, which are with them, they shall waste away. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, 
with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And I, with Abraham, I will remember. I will remember the land. Chapter 26, verses 43 through 45 further says, Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor will I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God, but for their sake I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am their Lord. I am the Lord. Within brackets I have, when the Israelites choose to turn away from God, they are left captive to their enemies as their consequence for going astray. When they finally realize what they have done, and choose to turn back to God and ask for his forgiveness, he will remember his covenant with their ancestors and rescue them, and will never totally destroy all the Israelites. God is always willing to forgive when they turn back to worshiping the Lord, which I think is a really, really significant thing, because over the years, they would do these big abominations, and there had to be quite often a big consequence, whether people had plagues, or people were killed, or... They had to be captive before they think, whoa, I made a big mistake. That's not right. I remember when God led us out of Egypt and took care of us and the, he parted the, the waters, had Moses part, part the waters for us and provided manna for us. And, and then they would turn back and follow him. And when they apologized to him, sincerely apologized, he would forgive them all the things they did. I mean, I think that's extremely extremely significant numbers 14 uh, verses 17 through 24 says and now i pray let the power of my lord be great just as you have spoken saying the lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy forgiving iniquity and transgression but he by no means clears the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the son to the third and fourth generation, pardon the iniquity of his people, I pray according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt and even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these 10 times and have not heeded my voice, they shall certainly not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, has followed me fully and I will bring into the land where he went. I will bring him, I don't have to work him, sorry. I don't profess to be the best of typists. I didn't pray my way through. Um, bring him into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. And also Joshua went, went into the promised land and led the remaining people um, to the promised land, because those are the two that did not um, go astray from what they were supposed to and stay focused on, on God. Those Israelites, Oh, within brackets, those Israelites who have seen the miracles of God did in freeing the miracles that God did in freeing them from Egyptian oppression, but chose to still turn away from them will not see the promised land. Okay, Numbers chapter 15, verses 28 through 31 says, So the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally. When he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him. You shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally and for him who is a native born among the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwells among them. But the person who does anything presumptuously, I have within brackets, bold, because it means boldly when they have no authority to do so. Whether he is a native born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord and he shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, and that person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. Within brackets, 
It says, God generally lets people know in advance what is expected of them if they make the choice to follow God's statutes. If they don't, they get the consequence of those choices as well. God informs the Israelites that if someone sins unintentionally and makes so that accidentally they weren't aware of the rule and makes atonement, and so they say, I'm sorry, I, you know, he is forgiven, but not those who deliberately sin boldly when they don't have the have authority. They will not be forgiven. Numbers 20 verses 5 through 13. And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to the evil place? It is not a place of grass or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of the meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Okay, this is an aside. Remember, I told you that part when they were coming out of Israel, I mean, out of Egypt. And um, they said how the Lord's going to take care of you, trust in him, have faith. Well, they didn't do that. And they didn't do what he God asked him, he said specifically what he wanted. So I'll get back to where I was. Because you do not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah. Because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and he was hallowed among them. Okay, the, within brackets, God... gave Moses and Aaron specific instructions to talk to the rock to produce water for the thirsty, complaining Israelites. But instead, they chose to take the rock, rod and hit the rock twice instead of giving God the credit and honoring God for providing water for them. So neither Aaron or Moses will enter the promised land. Also within brackets, I think it is very significant for us simple human beings to know that even though we may have consequences if we apologize to God he will forgive us this is a evidence by Jesus's transfiguration recorded in Matthew 17 verses 1 through 3 which says now after six days Jesus took Peter James and John his brother led them up on the high mountain by themselves and he which is Jesus was transfigured before them this is before he um before the Last Supper, just shortly before the Last Supper, and before he is betrayed and taken away and questioned and crucified on the cross and then buried and died and buried, was buried and rose again. Just so you know the time frame. Um, his face, his, which is Jesus' face, shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. Within brackets, I have the disciples with Jesus. That's for them. Talking with him, which is Jesus. Almost the same identical thing was recorded in Mark 9, verses 2 through 6, and Luke 9, verses 28 through 30, where both Elijah and Moses joined Jesus at his transfiguration before he's crucified. Oops, I said all that. Crucified, died, and was buried in a rose. In my humble opinion, I think this indicates that God forgave Moses for not choosing to respond the way he had requested, which is significant to us. So when we make many, many poor choices, I know I have, some of which may seem unforgivable, we need to turn to Christ and ask for forgiveness, which may be given if we sincerely request it. Deuteronomy 4 verses 15 through 31 says, Take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, 
out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image, which is an idol, whether they're talking about in any form of any figure, the likeness of a male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. The earth. And take heed lest you lift your eyes to heaven and when you see the sun the moon the stars and all the host of heaven you feel driven to worship them and serve them and the side so there are people that worship the sun and the stars and the moon or believe in horoscopes or believe in astrology and the sign the person's in and that's what he's talking about because those are false gods when you worship them which the lord your god has given to all and he's talking about the heavens and the constellations and the sun and all, which the Lord your God has given to all people under the whole earth as a heritage. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be his people, an inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan. This is Moses talking. And I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, but I must die in this land and I must not cross over the Jordan. But you shall cross over and possess that good land. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you and made, made for yourselves and make for yourselves a car. He's saying, pay attention to this so you don't make for yourselves a carved image, which is an idol, in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you beget, that means jealous in the way of he doesn't want you worshiping other gods. He only wants, they're not real, but he just wants you to worship him only. Because that's what that means. It's used over and over in the Bible. When you beget children, and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess it. You will not prolong your days in it, but you will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you where the Lord will drive you, scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve God's, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you see him with all your heart, and if you seek him with all your heart. And will, and with all your soul when you are in distress and these things come upon you in the latter days when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice for the Lord your God is a merciful God he will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them Within brackets, I have more. Moses is warning the Israelites before they enter the promised land that if they choose to turn to false gods what will happen and if they choose to turn back to God with their whole heart, he will be merciful to them. Because he's a loving and merciful God. He doesn't want to have consequences that the people don't listen unless they have a severe enough consequence to the where they say, whoa, where have I gone wrong? And then they go back to turning to him, or some of them do, and other ones have their consequences if they don't. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 11 verses 10 through 17 says, For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden, but the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of the heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always in it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil, 
and I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you. And he shall shut up the heavens that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. That's then Deuteronomy 3, verses 22 through 23, goes on to say, For you... For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you, um, to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Within brackets, I have Moses reminds the Israelites that the that God will provide for them and they will have abundance of crops if they choose to follow him and his commandments. But if they choose to follow false gods, the rain God provided and abundance will cease. Deuteronomy 13 verses 13 through 18 says, Corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of their cities, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. Then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently. And if it is indeed true, and certainly that such a, an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it, and its livestock with the edge of the sword. And you shall gather all its plunder into them. That's the things that are left after they have the consequence for worshiping false gods. Um, that community has a consequence for worshiping false gods and shall gather all its plunder, its things, into the middle of the street and completely burn with fire the city and all its plunder for the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be guilt again, built again. So none of the accursed things shall remain. So that means the false idols, the things that they have for worshiping it, anything related to that. So they shall not remain in your hand that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you just as he swore to your fathers. Because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments, which I command you today to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. Within brackets, Moses warns the Israelites if anyone chooses to serve false gods or takes the cursed things. They need to be to permanently remove them so that God's mercy and compassion will be with those who choose to follow God in his statutes so they flourish. Deuteronomy 20 verses 1 through 14 says, When you go out to battle horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you. He brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the the people, and he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are the ver on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint, do not be afraid, and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Within brackets, I have Moses told the Israelites to choose to have faith in God, protecting them when they go out to war, for he will save them. So he gave God honor then, but that one time at Meribah, he didn't. Okay, Deuteronomy 28, verses 9 through 12. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he was sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the people of, earth, of the earth shall see you and will grant you plenty. Whoops, I skipped a row that see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, which is your children, in the increase of your livestock and in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens to give the rain to your land in its season and bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. 
chapter Deuteronomy 28 verses 58 through 61 goes on to say, if you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in the book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. And also every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of the law, which will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. Within brackets, God will bless those who choose to follow him and his commandments. On the other hand, Moses warns the Israelites that if they choose to turn away from God, they will experience the plagues and diseases that they witnessed in Egypt. Deuteronomy 30 verses 1 through 5 says, Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. According to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you. And gather you again from the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Deuteronomy 30 verses 9 through 10 goes on to say, The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, and the fruit of your body, and the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you as good as he rejoiced over your fathers, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God, to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 to 20, further says, See, I have set before you today, life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, whoops, that's the extra two, sorry, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your hearts turn away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you crossed over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. So he's giving you both. You have choices, life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord, the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Within brackets, I have Moses reminds the Israelites that if they turn away from God and remember to turn back to him, he will have compassion on them and bring them back from captivity. Deuteronomy 32 verses 10 through 21 says, He found them in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled them, he instructed them, he kept them as an apple of his eye. As the eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him and there was no foreign God with him. He made him ride in the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey out from the rock and the oil from the flinty rock, curds from the cattle and milk of the flock with the fat of lambs and the rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the choicest wheat. And you drank wine, the blood of the grapes, but Jeshurun, which is another name for Israel, grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, you grew thick, you are obese. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. 
to gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that their fathers did not fear, of the rock who begot you. You are unmindful. The rock, another name for God. Um, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. And when the Lord saw it, he spurned them. That means cast them off or didn't have anything to do with them because of the provocations of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. Uh, I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. And they have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. Deuteronomy 32 verses 36 through 41 goes on to say, For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their power is gone and there is no one remaining bond or free, he will say, Where are their gods? The rock in which they sought refuge. And that rock, Moar, is rock that they made the idols out of stone sometimes. Sometimes it was wood, but he's talking about that. They didn't depend on him, the rock, the true God, is in contrast. But you can't see that because I'm repeating it. Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise and help you and be your refuge. Now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And say, nor is there anyone who could deliver from my hand, for I raise my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I wet my glittering sword and if my hand takes hold of, on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. Within brackets, I have God instructed Moses to share this song with the Israelites before his death so they would know what their options are. And if they choose to stray from God and turn back to him, he will accept them again. Joshua 5. Verse 6 says, For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness, till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers, that he would give us a land flowing with, with milk and honey. All right, I have two flown. I had to pick one up. Within brackets, I have this shows God followed through on the consequences to those who chose not to follow him. Within brackets, I have again, how do we know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for us? Think about it. How could the exact things done to Jesus be predicted all these hundreds of years before his birth? If it weren't for God the Father having prophets write these predictions down to be included in the Bible, God knew that some would doubt. So he left us biblical evidence. So we know Jesus is truly the son of God by fulfilling these predictions. This is the prediction in Psalm, uh, the book of Psalm about Jesus being God's son. And God letting David know something Jesus will say, no, that he, God the Father, will say to his only begotten son, Jesus. I will declare the decrees that the Lord has said to me, thou art my son, this day I have begotten. That's from the Old Testament book in the Bible, Psalm, verse, chapter 2, verse 7. The New Testament proved that this prediction was fulfilled. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalm, thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. That's from Acts, New Testament, Acts Chapter 13, verse 33. This is predicting a virgin will bear the Son of God. There, and this is the Old Testament prediction. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest, means hate, or don't like, shall be forsaken of both her kings. That's from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 14 through 16. The New Testament proof of the prediction being fulfilled. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, 
She was found a child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is, in conce which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until he had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is the prediction of a plot to betray Jesus, predicting the 30 pieces of silver Jesus was given to betray Jesus is used for the potter's field. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they waited for my price, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it into the potter, a goodly price, that I was priced of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them into the potter, in the house of the Lord. That's from Zechariah 11, verses 12 through 13. The New Testament proof of the prediction being fulfilled. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, which is Jesus, from whom they of the children of Israel priced and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. From That's from Matthew chapter 27, verses 7 through 10. This predicts Jesus' disciple Judas would betray him. Yea, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, has lifted up his hill against me. That's from Psalm 49, 41, verse 9. This is more than a, just the New Testament proof of fulfillment because this particular Bible passage shows Jesus knows full well he's going to be betrayed by Judas. Who else could do that but God's own son, Jesus? When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was one... There was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. This is an aside. That's Apostle John. He talks about himself in third person. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was one leaning on Jesus'. Oh, I read that. Sorry. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him. He motioned to Apostle John to ask who it was of whom he, which is Jesus, spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he, which is Apostle John, said to him, which is Jesus, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, which is Judas. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. And no one at the table knew for what reason Jesus, he, which is Jesus, said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we have need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he, which is Judas, then went out immediately, and it was night. That's from John chapter 13, verses 21 through 30. More New Testament proof of the prediction fulfillment. And while he, which is Jesus, this is after the Last Supper. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has finished the praying. He knows Judas is about to be there and, and then appears. And while he, which is Jesus, was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, so all these soldiers came, from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now his betrayer, which is Judas, had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? 
And they came, they, the soldiers, came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. That's from Matthew 26, verses 47 through 50. This predicts that Jesus will be beat and spit upon before they crucify him. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from the shame and the spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. That's from Isaiah 50, verses 6 through 7. The New Testament proof of the prediction fulfillment. Then released the then he released Barabbas unto them, and when they had scourged Jesus, that means hit him with the uh, ropes that have a little knots in them or maybe barbs in them, scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified, or it may be a whip. I mean, it's something of that. I've seen different pictures of it. Okay, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into a common hall, gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe and when they have plated a crown of thorns they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying hail king of the jews and they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head and after they had mocked him they took the robe off of him and put on put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him that's from matthew 27 verses 26 through 31 Within brackets, I have Jesus knew we would have to go through all of this in order to save us from our sins so that believers could have salvation in heaven with him someday. If it were me and I knew people were going to spit on me, mock me and beat me, it would have been a real game changer. But Jesus went through all of this for us anyway, knowing all of this in advance. This next is predicting bystanders would divide Jesus' clothes and cast lots for his coat. The Old Testament prediction, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. That's from Psalm chapter 22, verse 18. The New Testament proof of the prediction fulfillment. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. That's from Matthew chapter 27, verse 35. This predicts the piercing of Jesus' hands and feet when they nailed him on the cross. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have, and it says, enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. From Psalm chapter 22, verse 16. The New Testament proof of the prediction's fulfillment, the same day Jesus arose from the grave, which is Easter, but it's not the morning. It's the evening. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had, and that they are the disciples, and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he, which is Jesus, said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see first. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. That's from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 40. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, it was predicted what Jesus would say on the cross when he died for our redemption. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from my words of my roaring? And from the words of my roaring. That's from Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. The New Testament proof this verse was fulfilled is in Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 46. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is predicting Jesus wouldn't suffer corruption in other words, his body wouldn't rot. For thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. That's from Psalm chapter 16, verse 10. The fulfillment of this verse is in John 20, verses 25 through 29, when Jesus shows himself to the disciples the second time after arising from the grave. 
I mean, there were several times on Easter, so it's not second like on the same day. This is a whole nother time. The other disciples therefore said to him, which is Thomas, we have seen the Lord. So he, which is Thomas, said to them, unless I see his hands in the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he, which is Jesus, said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You have heard all these predictions of Jesus being the only begotten Son of God. His birth, betrayal, death, and resurrection, and the fulfillment of these. Here are some additional noteworthy passages so you are not led astray by those who would try to dissuade you to, or other Christians from believing in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jude forewarns us of those trying to and these are all New Testament passages. Jude forewarned us of those trying to lead believers astray from the love of God and Jesus Christ is them. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you to the common salvation, it was needful for me to write to you and exhort you that you would should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, and godly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is from Jude verses 1 through 4. Next is Jesus Christ, God's Son, washed our sins from us when he died and arose from the dead. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's from Revelation 1, chapters 5 through 6. Jesus tells John in the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ that this is the last book of the Bible. They should stay strong, hold fast, and repent because Jesus comes like a thief in the night, and believers undefiled shall walk in white with him, and Jesus will not blot out their name up from the book of life, but will confess their name to God the Father, and they should focus on what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore you shall not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they have shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white, which is white clothes or white garments. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. That's from Revelation chapter 3, verses 2 through 7. Within brackets, I have, after all my research analysis, I have determined that it is very consistent that God didn't let Moses and, and the original Israelites enter the promised land, but he sent his only begotten son to save us. It's still within brackets. God gives them and gives us choices. If we worship the Lord God and follow his statutes, he will provide for us and support us. But if we choose to turn our backs on him, he will turn his back on us. Still within brackets. Much the same as it says in Deuteronomy 7, chapter 7, verse 16. Also, you shall destroy all the peoples whom the Lord your God delivers over you. Your eyes shall have no pity on them, nor shall you serve their gods. For 
that will be a snare to you. So basically that's saying that he does have serious consequences for people that are worshiping idols and doing other abominations and leading his people astray. Within brackets, I have, why is it significant that God gave his only begotten son to save us? Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 John 4 verses 9 through 10 says, and this love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we may live through him in this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, in other words, substitute for our sins. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 21 says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself through the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Within brackets, I have not only do I base my analysis on all the predictions about Jesus in the Old Testament and the fulfillment in the New Testament, but also on the following Bible verses. When he, which is Jesus, had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's from Matthew. Three verses 16 through 17. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized in, by John, that's uh, John the Baptist, not Apostle John, in the river, in the Jordan, which is the Jordan River. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. That's from Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22. And John, which is John the Baptist, bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him, which is Jesus. I did not know him, but he, which is God the Father, who sent me to baptize with water, said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And again the next day, John, which is John the Baptist, stood with the two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. This is from John chapter 1, verses 32 through 36. And it's not John the Baptist that writes the Gospel of John. It's John the Apostle that wrote it. And I am going to also share other things that were at Jesus' transfiguration. But I just, and they sound very much the same. That's because a lot of different people are more than one person. Several people saw things that Jesus did and things that happened to him that are a proof of Jesus being the son of God. And so you hear it from different people. Do they say exactly word for word the same? No, they say pretty much the same thing because no two people, when they see something, say things exactly. They paraphrase it and put it their own way. Like in Mark, it says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then in Luke, it says, you are my beloved son in you I am well pleased. So they didn't say in whom I am well pleased. It says pretty much the same thing with slight differences, but it means the basically the same thing. Then there's more at the transfiguration of Jesus, which is happens before he is betrayed by Judas and questioned and beaten and hung on the cross and died and was buried and rose again for our sins. Okay, so at Jesus' transfiguration before he's betrayed, while he's, he was 
still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. That's from Matthew 17, verse 5. And the cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. That's from Mark chapter 9, verse 7. And while he, which is Peter, was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And that's from Luke 9, verses 34 through 35. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. That's from John chapter 12, verses 27 through 28. For we did not know cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's from Second Peter, verses 1. Chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Remember John 3, 16 through 21, where Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. This is within brackets. My advice is to you is to follow Jesus Christ, the light of the world that can lead believers to salvation and heaven with him someday. It's not hard to do. All you have to do is stay in your heart. You don't even have to say it out loud. You don't have to say a formal prayer. You don't have to have a minister. You don't have to say formal words. You can say what's in your heart. You know, I love you, Jesus, or I want to love you more but i i'm confused help me show me what i need to know i mean see what's in your heart he hears you and he will help you and he will be there for you and he will accept you if you are sincere about turning your life to him does that mean that you're going to be perfect because you turn his life to him nobody's perfect but jesus god knows that our lives are two steps forward one back or one step forward two back but if we keep, every time we make mistakes, if we keep turning to him and apologizing and ask for his guidance, he will be there for us and he will guide us. Doesn't mean you have steak every night. Doesn't mean you have the job you want. Being a Christian doesn't mean those things. It means God will be with us through the good times and the bad. But it doesn't mean that your lives are going to, he's handing us what we want on a silver platter, but he will be with us and those believers that love him truly will be with him in heaven someday i think it's worth the risk to put your faith in christ i want you to know that since this is an example of the positive influence god has made on my life through the bible this podcast that i shared with you may not reflect all of the whole meaning of the bible verses and passages i have shared they're just how this particular Bible verse or passage related to my life and how it makes the Bible more personal to me and my daily walk with Christ. Thank you for joining us at Relate to the Bible. I look forward to you joining us next time where you will hear more examples of how you can relate the Bible in ways that are especially meaningful to you.